Hi, I'm Tim. And I'm Vanessa. And this is Script to Script 17. Yep, brought to you on May 5th, a.k.a. Cinco de Mayo. So we're staying inside to record this instead of going out to drink margaritas and eat tacos. Yeah, and uh, wave, a, wave a Mexican flag for whatever reason. Uh, well, you're just as Mexican as Cinco de Mayo as you're Irish on St. Paddy's Day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and Cinco de Mayo only tends to, I believe, uh, it's like a particular province, like they give a shit. Like, it's not, yeah, it's not I all did. of Mexico. I heard most of Mexico was like, what? Like, they're like, that'd be like, it'd be like celebrating, like, like every, that'd be like some other country, like every year the Alamo anniversary came on. I was year. just, I was just going to use the animal Alamo as the example, because yeah, I'm sure Texas does celebrate that. A little bit. But the rest of us don't give a shit. Right. So you'd go to you go to some place in like the middle of Africa and they'd be like, I remember the Alamo. And you'd be like, What? Ooh. Like like yeah. I, I've heard of it, but I mean, how can you forget it? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. So in in a, a typical American fashion, we're doing an all American movie and book today. Yep. We've chosen the uh the book that turned into Die Hard, which most people forget Die Hard is based on a book. Uh, it's funny because it's right there in the credits. We, we were re-watching it, and it's been at least a year or so since we saw it. No Christmas. We, we did the thing a lot of people do. and we. But the thing is, we were busy. I think we were like cleaning the house while we had it on. Yeah, yeah, getting ready for like a gathering or something like that, I think. But nonetheless, it like right there in the opening credits, like hey, based on the novel by Robert Roderick Thorpe. Yep. Which, what's really funny, and this is, like, when you look into it further, is that the novel, Nothing Lasts Forever, is actually a sequel to another novel he did called The Detective, which was written in 66. This was, this came out in 79. So, 13 years later, this novel gets released, and then it gets adapted into a movie. So, it's, has a very weird pedigree of that, that way. Because what did you find out about The Detective? What do you mean? That wasn't it made into a movie as well? Oh, yes, yes. It was made into a movie. I don't know what year, but it starred Frank Sinatra. And once we learned that, we learned that after we started watching Die Hard last night. Uh, it's like, oh, okay. So we'll we'll do that in the future. Uh, Put it on the list. Which, which right off the bat, I think th- I couldn't find anywhere. But I had the feeling that's why they changed the character's name in the novel and also in the movie The Detective. It's Joe Leland. And then most people know for Die Hard, it's John McClane. And I th- I have the feeling that they changed the name because... They didn't want to associate it with the yeah. previous. Because a, a Frank Sinatra movie called The Detective is probably very different to mm-hmm. an action movie with Bruce Willis. And, and and the thing is, you could have, honestly, the way the character is in the book versus the movie, I have the feeling that the character in The Detective is one that they could have done Die Hard with, but it definitely would have been a different movie with a different tone. I, the plot would have been similar because I will say the the basic plot and a lot of little things here and there, they definitely have in the movie from the novel. But I have the feeling that, yeah, the, the genre would have been not quite so, like, 80s action. Probably not quite. It would, it would have been much darker action. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how the book plays out. We'll, we'll cover that as we yes. go through it. That's... But like we said, the biggest difference right off the bat is just the the name care or or the the character names for well the, the, not the just leads. the name main character names well but and yes and the a char- lot of like their relationships so uh, I think we'll start with the book because everyone I think is pretty well versed to the movie by now we'll cover the bits that we as we get to yeah and, and I think if we don't specify book or movie. If we say Joe, we're obviously talking about the book. If we say John, we're obviously talking about the movie. That's pretty clear, I think. So, uh, in the book we start off... We start off with a taxi scene. And it's the kind of moment that... Looking at it, I don't know if it was just padding or what, but it doesn't feel... Like it does anything for the character, other than demonstrate that he's kind of an asshole... Yeah. Because he just, like, willingly whips out a gun. Because, like, basically the taxi driver gets distracted. It's snowing, and he ends up, like, hitting another guy, like, rear-ending him a little bit. 
And Joe says, fuck it, just get me to the goddamn airport, and I'll, I'll take care of it. Yeah. And the other guy gets pissed off. I mean, And rightfully so. He starts chasing down, like, hey, you hit me, you motherfucking well, asshole. Yeah. And so Joe waves his gun at him, like, burr, 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 get the fuck off, man. And then the guy's like, Ey. And then the, the what's funny is, like, the, the airport police, like, talk to him, and then they talk to him later, like, well, the guy says you drew a gun. He's like, well, I didn't. He might have seen it, but I didn't draw it on him. So he's willing to lie yeah. to cover his own ass. Plus, a, I'm a cop. Oh! Yeah. Only he's not really a cop at this point. He's retired, and he yeah. ends up being a consultant. He goes around, does talks about terrorists and other things. Because what is he, like, mid to late 50s at this point? I figure at least, because... Because he's supposed to have been a pilot in World War Two, mm-hmm. so he figured, let's say, let's say he was twenty. Because he had, come on, he wasn't, he wasn't going to be eighteen flying no. planes. Uh, like, well, I mean, it's possible, sure, but let's let's say at least twenty, right? Well, and then you also have to think his daughter, I th- think, has has to be in her early to mid thirties, right? So You've yeah, got- let, let's say he was at the war for what? America was only in World War Two for two years. Um, I think a little longer if you count Japan, because I think it was, what, 1940? Or is it 41? You could look it up. We have the internet right I there. I know. I'm curious just, now. Just even put a, a day that will live in infamy. That will tell us. That will live in infamy. 41. 41. Okay. So assuming he joined in 41, and this takes place at around the same year, say 78, when it was actually maybe written, versus 79, right? Yeah. So we're talking uh, 30, 37 years. So he'd probably be about... Yeah, late 50s. Yeah, 57 or so. So he's, a, he's supposed to be an older dude. He's going from New York to visit his daughter. No, no, St. Louis. St. Louis. Oh, see, I always forgot. I thought it was all the way from New York. But anyway. In the book, at least. In the book. Right. Obviously, movie, he's New York going to visit his ex-wife. No, no. They're still, they're separated at that point. Separated. So, I mean, that's names. uh, I would say ages, obviously. Not just their ages, but experience because he is he's a military man joe's a military man versus john who's more just your average cop because then joe was also like he was high profile because he like solved a murder which is probably a callback to the detective yeah and they mentioned something we won't get into it because we'll do the the detective in the future but basically there it seems like the first book was more about a murder mystery kind of novel yeah so, which is kind of odd, because you don't have authors very m- often switching genres, much less technically with the same character. Well, what's interesting is that, that Robert Th- uh, Thorpe... Roderick. Uh, Roderick. Uh, ...said that his inspiration for this was a dream he had about the Towering Inferno, basically switching the fire for terrorists, the concept of defending... Or taking and holding a building hostage, how it basically changes the landscape. It's not like where if you have a group of terrorists take over a small flat building, that's like ranch style. But a high rise is much more difficult because you have defense points and how do you get mm-hmm. people to, you know, appropriately snipe or things like that. It would just be a nightmare. It would, it, it is, is, is and would be a logistical nightmare by all means. Yes. Uh, well, and then John is much more your... Your standard large city uh, cop. I'm going to quick say, sorry if you hear any grinding noises. We gave a couple pig ears to our dogs, and one of them's chewing it near here, so you may be hearing a, a crunch, and that's what that is. Uh, anyway. We're trying to minimize it by, yeah. by positioning ourselves in front of the mic more, <laughs> so he's not, but yeah. It's, it's not us, like, folding boxes in half. We're not, like, working in a warehouse or anything at the same time. Cracking our knuckles nonstop. Yeah. You're just like, God, your joints, they must hurt. But then, uh, and then Joe, he's, like, talks about he's attended seminars uh, on, like, oh, anti-terrorism God. and stuff. So, like, he's coming from the, from he, a place of, like, he's not, like, an expert but he definitely has more knowledge than your average cop would in this kind of situation. Imagine a Tom Clancy character toned down to almost realistic. <laughs> That's what we have. That's what we have. Uh, 
Dear God, there's a whole thing in him in the plane flirting with what the stewardess. Was she a stewardess? Yeah, I forget. Like it was just Kathy. Uh, yeah. He's and like, and is, now, how is she supposed to be like in her thirties or forties or something? I don't know. Like she's apparently like whatever. Because at this point, he like his he divorced his wife. His wife is dead, and he's apparently. I'm assuming he must be one of those guys that like. Oh, like who would be a good example? Okay, there we go. Um, probably like a Tom Selleck or a uh, Sean Connery, where like a distinctive, like still attractive older gentleman that like definitely gets the ladies going. Because it seems like it's not just her. It seems like overall he does he doesn't do bad with the ladies if he wants. Yeah. And and also kind of the way they are still in shape. He'd have to be to, to pull the shit he does. Right. By far. By far. Because uh. even most guys in their 20s and 30s could not do that stuff. Well, again, this, this is an action novel. Yeah. So, but, yeah. Anywho, he, <laughs> he shows up to the party. The usual thing he meets. He meets uh, his daughter's uh, two bosses. They've just closed a, a big deal. It's not a Christmas party. They're just sort of celebrating a, a big deal they closed down in South America to build a bridge or something. It's, and it's Christmas Eve, though. Yep. Is it still? Yeah, because the next day, it he mentions that it's Christmas now. Oh. Blah, blah, blah. I wasn't paying attention to that. I just There were certain parts I'm, like, zoning out. Yeah, and honestly, at this point, like, in the movie, he ends up at the party you see that he has a gun. He mentions he's a cop. He gets picked up by Argyle. Yep. Um, and I mean, and then there's the book counterpart, um, the twins, Paisley and Tartan. No, <laughs> no. Argyle is definitely one of the like, oh, we'll have the kind of younger, hip, black guy, like sassy character like like he reminds you a little bit of um if you've seen mannequin with hollywood who's like the super flamboyant like because that that's a big thing and i mean obviously it still happens where like you have the the fun like black or gay character seems to be the big things well especially in the 80s they were like we're like how do we spice this up and make it interesting we got to give them modern like something to draw the kids a streetwise fast talking like you know basically what chris tucker was ultimately making fun of in rush hour by being in a lot of ways and that's yeah but it's it doesn't matter because argyle doesn't do a lot so it He's just sort of there. I mean, a lot of ways he's kind of a... There's no reason to really have him except to, like, have a couple moments of explaining things and then also obviously to stop the guy at the end. But even that was unnecessary. Yeah, it kind of feels like maybe his role actually got kind of cut down originally. I wonder wonder if they did it, though, because, like, all the other terrorists get killed and they're like, well, we don't want to kill the one black terrorist. And, yeah, and and they wanted a reason because he's the only one that they actually like. He rams into the van and then just punches him. Yeah, but I don't think that was why. I think I think they just sort of had like like I said. I think there was Argyle probably played a bigger part in the original like screenplay. It could and be he got cut down because in the facts they were saying that uh, they were basically tweaking the script while they were shooting it. Yeah. So no, I bet he was going to end up being like more like a. Honestly, like a relay or something like that. Like somehow he gets in contact with John and he's like doing some yeah, stuff like or he's C- getting information like, out. Yeah, like the CB, he'd be able to use that yeah. and the mobile phone together I could to like. See that. Yeah, that would have made a little sense. And instead, they just had it to where the radios magically just worked. Well, honestly, the character's not bad. I think what's just weird is the name. Like they could have just given a name like Pete or like just a standard name, but like, have you met anyone with the freaking name Argyle? I work with a guy named Denver, so I'm not bothered by a weird name like Argyle. Oh, no, the weird names are out there, but it's still... It felt like one of those things that wasn't necessary. Anyway. Yeah. Moving on. The (laughs) point. So the point is, in the movie... Oh, yes, in the the book, Joe's uh, grandkids are there at the party as well when everything goes down. 
Which you don't even, maybe it was mentioned, but I missed it. Until the very end, they're just like magically there. Right. Uh, it's, it's the thing where they maybe, uh, you'd think he'd want to see them uh, like as soon as he sees his daughter, he'd be like, okay, where are the grandkids? Nope. He's like, hey, you're my daughter. I have now met my, I've now met your bosses. I have diagnosed one of your bosses as being an asshole and the other one being a coke addict. And my daughter also is probably doing coke. Yeah. Time for me to go clean up. I'll leave my, my grandkids are fine hanging out at this party with everyone who's drinking. Who knows how old they are? Yeah, and then they both do the thing. They keep it where, um... Because John gets told on the plane, like, oh, what really helps when you travel is take your shoes off, shoes and socks off. Walk around, clench your toes, blah, blah, yep. blah. And then... And then it's very similar in the book. Is it? it he tells. He says that he learned it from some guy years ago while traveling to help unwind. And since he he is a military guy and a cop and stuff, he's traveled a lot too. So he was doing a similar thing. So they keep that where they're both running around barefoot. Yeah, and like he actually takes off. Like he loses his. He takes off his jacket and dress shirt to kind of like wash in the bathroom a little bit because he's been i think he said he's been awake for, for like 12 hours at that point right and it's just you know d- even if you don't travel for very long or very far something about just being packed on a plane for a couple hours it does it makes you just feel unclean yeah like you kind of just need to scrub down a little bit so i i totally get that well and then they keep because his so in the movie it's it's nice because they do a little thing where he goes in to check in like, oh, my wife is here, and there's, like, this screen where you can, like, type in the name. So he goes, McLean, nothing comes up, and he's like, oh, gosh, he's going by her main name, which is, was it? Gennaro. Gennaro. And then in the book, so it's a good way of saying, like, okay, so you wouldn't easily tie them together if you didn't know, because they're not going by the same last name. And in the book, that's his daughter's married last name, although she's divorced at that point right the reason i think it works best in the movie is because it tells us without outright you know shows us without telling us outright their marriage is not doing that well clearly someone one at least one of them is reconsidering you know getting back together after an extended separation and that's kind of you get that from john's reaction to it he's just like he's just like oh no this is bad this you know this signifies all the bad things yeah, so, cause, cause and they even get a little argument about it, which is kind of cute because it's not like a screaming match. They just kind of argue, like, "Well, what the, what the hell is that all about?" Yeah, right. So the terrorists show up. This this is where both things sink right back up. Things happen. Uh, McLean and Leland both realize, "Holy shit, there are people with guns." Time to get moving. Get out of the way. Yep. Don't get don't get seen. Get somewhere safe. Think about this. All right. Uh, Leland recognizes the guy, like, right away. He's like, I know that guy from my conferences. It's blah, blah, blah. It's, it's Anton Gruber. So Little Red Tony yeah. or something like that. And he's supposed to be, I think he's supposed to be South American. For some reason, everyone speaks German, but they keep mentioning, like, South American. He's super enraged about South I, America. Again, I think it has to do with the the Germans that fled to South America after, during and after World War II. That's my thought, too. Like just, maybe, just like there are a bunch of Japanese people there. Yeah, I, I, there's got to be, like, I think the author is just sort of like, hey, they're, they're South American Germans, so you know they're evil. And it's like, is that a trope from, from your era? And he's like, yeah, what, not yours? <laughs> So I guess they're all, like, Krieger's relatives. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so he starts, brr, 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 get down. I want the safe open. I want the, I want this, right? So he sends... Now, how does the one guy, the first guy that he kills in the book, how does he end up looking for him? Was I it th- accidental? Like the guy was just scouting the computers or something? God, there was... Because doesn't he go in there and he starts showing, like, come out, I know you're here or something? That's in the movie. Oh, but I found the book he was doing that, too. Or... Oh, was he trying to signal? So I think it was... I think it was he finds... Oh, oh, is that where he's trying to do Morse code? Yeah, like, flash... Yes. a flashlight. And someone does it back. And I think because... If someone notices, they start looking, like, get up to the next floor, start looking around. Yeah. So our first guy, who also, like in the movie, is the brother of Carl, mm-hmm. uh, goes goes looking. In the, in the book, he has a Thompson machine gun, 
for no reason. Everyone else has AKs. He, this guy is apparently the quirky terrorist who likes, you know, he's the hipster. He's like, yeah, you know, I used to listen to vinyl. Now I listen to everything over AM radio. It just, it has a warmer feel. If I don't to have it. to hand crank my gun, there's no point. Yeah. I, I, I like to fresh press my bullets every morning. Yeah. <laughs> it's like while I listen to my recording, my rare recordings from, I you know, Carnegie Hall on Edison cylinders. <laughs> he, oh my god! He doesn't ride a unicycle. He rides. He, he, he uh, What would what would you ride instead of a fucking penny farthing? For God's sake, if you want to go further back, uh, there's got to be something like he tried. Like he he's building his own zeppelin or something. <laughs> That's the kind of hipster he is. Anyway, he has a Thompson machine gun. Everyone else, oh, it's so stupid. I don't mind it. Now, when you say Thompson machine gun, do you mean like a Tommy gun? Yes, that's what a Tommy gun Okay, is. that's what I... Now, the the problem, the problem, the one question I had, which I thought was funny and he didn't really answer, is there are two kinds of main Thompsons. There's the uh, there's the classic 38, which you'd probably recognize as having the like the drum. And that was the original, what it was made for. That's like you'd see yeah. in like gangster movies. Same. It was rechambered in 45 and sometimes used in the front lines in World War II. It was also sometimes carried by soldiers in, like, I think Vietnam and or Korea. Little harder hitting than a thirty-eight, but anyway, both uh, go bang bang. Both go bang, and they go bang a lot. It's an automatic too, so he kills the guy, snaps his neck using his military training. Goes wop, snaps his neck. Well, and I think the difference too is that overall, it's funny because uh, in the movie they make the main character younger, but they definitely make the terrorists older. Because in the book, the main character is older, but the terrorists seem more like idealistic 20-year-olds. But it makes sense because their motivation is actually political. And a lot of times you are going to get young, idealistic people. And in the movie, it's more they pretend to be political and they're doing things for that reason. But really, they want money. Yeah. Uh, In both both the... This is where our main character gets uh, gets the the detonators, the plastique, and then a radio. Yes. Now, in the book, there ends up being a lot more radio exchanges between him and the police and everything else, uh, as well as Anton. And Anton actually uses it in the book to sort of triangulate his position. Yeah, because it, it's... And I don't know if things actually changed that much in about, what was that, like 15, almost 20 years between the book and the movie where radios would have a stronger signal. It wasn't, wasn't that long, because this was released in 79. The movie came out, what, 85? Oh, for some reason I was thinking 60s. Well, that, he, that was the detective. Yeah, but the, yeah, I think the guy probably had a similar mindset-ish. Ish, ish. Yeah. A little bit. Maybe it would work like that. I don't, I don't know enough about CBs to say that, but they're, they're civilian band radios in the first place, which is funny. Uh, so that comes into play a little more. And then... Uh, yeah, people people are getting sent his way. He's killing people. Now, something else that's different is there are actually female terrorists. Yep, he kills a couple of women. Which, which in classical, like, older school fashion, this bothers the character a lot more. Which, you, again, you see a lot in, like, older fiction where a male character has to kill a female and that bothers him. He's like, oh, I've been killing guys all night, but oh, I had to kill a woman. That's a bad thing. And he doesn't dwell on it too much. Well, like, they have the babies. Yeah. Dem, Dem's got the titties. They shouldn't <laughs> die. That don't make no goddamn sense. So he, he gets in touch. Uh, there's a lot less struggle in the book for him to get police attention and cooperation than it does in the movie. There's more of that, but I think it's because they also want to want you to see the characters a little bit more. Because in the book, the, you never switch perspectives. It's always... Joe. Yeah. Versus in the movie. And you kind of have to. It's hard to do a whole movie from one person's point of view. Uh, where Well, especially when we found out that part of the reason that happened is the shooting schedule. Because uh, Willis was busy doing Moonlight as well as the movie. Moonlighting. Moonlighting. Oh, yes. Have you ever me. seen Moonlighting? I've heard it's decent. I saw one episode in class. We watched it for Taming of the Shrew. And it wasn't bad, yeah. It was weird, though, because at that point, obviously, Bruce Willis... Had been an action star for years. And it's like, oh, he's doing goofy stuff. Which, I mean, he definitely has done that. 
No. But nowadays, it seems like he he's lost his sense of humor. He's such a hard ass. At Even in interviews and at stuff. At least that's how he likes to see himself. Yeah. He, he basically thinks he's John McClane. Kind of like how Mike Myers turned into Shrek for a while, or Fat <laughs> Bastard. You know? Look, I got a Scottish accent! I'm, I'm Mike, you're from Canada. I know there's. I know there probably are some Scots up there, but not that many. Have you seen uh, So I Married an Axe Murderer? Yeah, where he does every... Basically, well, no, he. but that's the same accent he does for the main character's father. Well, no, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I, I was going to say, So I Married an Axe Murderer is a microcosm of everything Mike Myers has always done, which includes, yep. oh, look, I, can, I do a Scottish accent. Oh, look, I do an English accent. Uh, sometimes I talk normal. Other times I'm goofy and like a rocker guy almost. And you're like, yep, that's, that's everything Mike Myers has ever done and ever will do, except for an Indian accent. Hence the love guru, I guess. You know what? If I made up or made that much freaking money doing it, I'd do it too. I understand. I'm just saying it's it still sucks. Anyway, back to our movie and book. Uh, what else do we have that major deviations? Well, okay, we have to say though. So we finally in the book gets in touch with uh, Powell. Al Powell. And still Powell in both. So there you go. And this there, is there, there's an interesting description. Dear God, this is one of those things that definitely dates it dates the book and at least the author by all means Mm -hmm. is how he describes the other end he's like and he says this a few times he's like the black voice he says it a few times about powell on the radio and it's the kind of turner phrase where you understand what he means but then you stop and go wait a minute that doesn't what yeah and part of he's like can you explain exactly like yeah, like because like, there are a few ways you could think he's maybe trying to talk, but the same, God, it, and it sucks. You're like, I feel like I'm kind of racist for assuming a certain way, but obviously he means it a certain way. So right, I don't know. It's just it, it's very it's, uncomfortable. It's very dated. It's again, it's the kind of thing where the where the where the author is trying to tell you something that you shouldn't be able to know. Yes, because because you can't see this person obviously until later on the TV crews arrive. You don't ever get to see him, so he's trying to tell you, like, give you a mental picture of what this guy looks like. But that doesn't make any sense. Uh, I just, I really wish like he would have been like he would have maybe described it more like, you know, the guy had like a sort of maybe like he had a uh, street accent or something like he spoke slang or something i don't know there's got to be a better way to say to de- describe the character and because well, he says it constantly like he says it, it multiple times because be, i said this to tim tim has a co-worker who he's done conference calls with and i've heard his voice before and i finally saw his picture and i'm like oh he's black and it wasn't that like he it was more i said to tim it's the timber of the voice a lot of times. I don't think it's necessarily vernacular or slang or anything like that that necessarily paints the picture. But it's where their voice so lays on like, the register. Yeah. And that's more maybe what he's trying to say. Yeah. And I'm not racist, oh, I no. swear. No, that's what I was thinking was a better way to say it if they wanted to describe it like that. Because this would give you a proper picture or at least give you is that it could have reminded him of a partner he had. You know, yeah, or, like, or even an actor or something, right? Like, oh, he sound he kind of reminded me of like James Earl Jones or something. Sydney like Poitier, right? A smooth, like he had a really smooth voice. It was very comforting or something. That's fine because that, that gives you at the same time you can picture that actor as well as that. Yeah, just there's something very like I said, it's just unsettling. And again, this is this is from '79 and from a guy who was born in what like '30 something. We thought we found out. Yeah. So. An older dude who clearly was just like, I, I don't know. Like I said, it's just unsettling is all. That just threw me. Moving on. Well, based on the way, though, the guy was, like, the conversation, he he wasn't using slang or anything like that. So then I, I would have to assume that wasn't what he was talking about. So That's, I don't know. It, yeah. It's hard to figure out exactly what he was trying to get across. Uh, so the what I love, though, is, uh, like, Powell in the movie, he is, like, I love that character. He's such a great character where he 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 has like attitude at times with the cops, which I love. It's like well, he's, well, he's like he's really defending John. Right. 
and part of it is because like they've bonded over over what's going on and of talking to this guy like he he kind of understands like they they're both street cops in a lot of ways they're both understand each other right in a lot of ways john reaching out to him like he's honestly like john's sanity lifeline in a lot of ways because john is dealing with something that's really extraordinary to him obviously he's just a regular cop caught in a situation that is well outside of his expertise by all stretch of the imagination you know al powell is trying to keep him grounded keep him talking keep him moving you know at least keep him alive right in the book eh he's kind of just there to talk to him and be like oh we got kathy on the radio well yeah and he keeps doing things where it's like well, like, he is kind of fighting for John, but at the same time, there are a number of times where, like, John will say something and he'll push back and be like, no, we got to do it this way. Or, like, John, or Joe, please just, like, can you let us do this? Or blah, blah, blah. All right, we also have the, uh, God, was he, like, the, not the police, not the chief, like, the commander? Yeah, um, is it Dwayne Robinson? Uh, maybe? I think so. I, they both care. They have the character in both book and movie. Yeah. Um, and he's... Deputy chief of police. He's the same in both. He's just a dick that is very much like, we're going to do this by the book. I, I don't care what he's saying. We can't necessarily trust him because we don't know who he is. Because in both, he's trying to hide his identity because he has someone he cares about at the party and also just... So they can't basically find out anything about them to possibly use against them. Yeah. Oh, uh, boy. Uh, let's see. The the feds play a much bigger role in the movie, by all means. They, I don't think, do the feds even show up in the book? I don't know if they do, actually. I don't think, I don't they, think, do. think they do. But uh, then again, I don't know how quick they were to call in the feds back then. Like, if you had a terror situation nowadays, obviously, they would be really fast. And you get SWAT and stuff. Right. You but, have special teams to react mm-hmm. to that. Yeah, a little little less, a little more. But anyway. Well, well, okay, the big thing is that, like, so, he, he, yeah, with, like, the whole Kathy thing in the book where, like, he talks to her and, like, so he's getting hurt. Um, in the book, they know he left his socks and shoes because they find him in his right. daughter's office. So they actually purposely, in the stairwell break a bunch of the lights the fluorescence yep to put it on the ground so he steps on it and that happens similarly whereas in the movie they obviously break like just plate glass that separates things one thing that we should throw out there is that uh there's a sim the similar scene is in the book as in the movie where he sends the body down with a note of the first guy he kills Mm -hmm. hans uh in the in the book, he tries to basically play it as a ruse because it has a note that says, now we have a machine gun, trying to make it sound like maybe there's a couple of them running around, yeah. throw them off a little bit. They find out pretty quickly that it's probably just one guy because they find his stuff. So they know it's only him. I'm trying to think there. Uh, another similar scene that happens, we have the uh, the detonation of the, of the plastique yep. at one point. Uh, he basically ties it to a chair, throws it down an elevator shaft, blows up the bottom, kills a number of terrorists. Very similar to how it happens in the movie. Uh, um, he also gets reamed out by Dwayne about this. Burr, burr, you almost brought the building down. Burr, yeah. burr, burr, burr. And then, well, in the book, a big difference is, too, because this shit is going down, a bunch of civilians are, like, crowding around outside and just staying there. Because they want to see what's going on. Well, because it takes place over, like, almost like 24, 36 hours or so. Yeah. Maybe even longer. I think the I think the wiki claims it goes on for longer. Like, I didn't think it went on for more than, like, a day. Yeah. Overall, 24 hours. But like apparently... Christmas Eve night until, like, right. Christmas night. But it draws a huge bunch of crowds because the TV crew show up, and Kathy's on there talking to him through a CB, through re- being relayed, you know, to him. And he's he's telling them there were twelve originally, and he's th- throughout like a, the time he's saying he's like, well, I've killed four, so seven or uh, there's there's seven, th- left. there's eight left, eight left. Yeah, he's counting down as he goes through them, and and they're they're not trusting him on that, and because because he can, um, he can't really speak German, but he understands it somewhat, 
And, and I've heard of that before where, like, you can't find the words, but when you hear them, you know what they are. Um, and and he's not great, but because they keep talking to him, so they don't know what he can hear, the, the terrorists. So he trusts them where they, when they're saying, like, someone's mentioned, like, 12. Yeah, when they said it in Germany, he's like, okay, I know how many there are. I'm counting down. I'm killing people. Well, let's see. There's a very similar scene with the whole rooftop and the jumping off. This happens a little earlier on in the book because what happens is instead of taking hostages out via helicopter as part of their ruse, what they're doing is the police are planning on landing a helicopter to storm it because, again, they don't have a good way to get in the building out from the bottom. So, like, well, let's go in through the top. The terrorists are aware of this, and he tries to warn them this is going to be a slaughter. They're going to attack. He's hiding out on the roof trying to just kill some time until dawn. Yeah. And he ends up making uh, making a harness out of his, uh, he's got like a duffel bag and the sling of his gun, things like that, and jumps down the next floor. Oh, also, yeah, the air duct part, just like uh, similar in, as in the movie where he's moving around using his gun as like a, uh, a brace. Although in the book, it was freakier because in the movie, there's light. In the book, he can't see anything. It's dark. So he actually doesn't know how far the drop is. So he's trying to let himself down and so he can like feel something. And then, what is it? He finally... No, he doesn't feel anything. And he finally reaches a point where he's like, I'm just going to kind of trust. Drop and hold and grab something. And then he ends up barely getting the gun to come with him because he like pulls it so it lets loose and then starts falling. And he makes so much noise that they're like, oh, he's over there. He's over there. Cause, and that's something, again, I like in this end in the movie is that the terrorists are like, oh, I hear something banging around in the air ducts. That's probably a person. Yeah. Probably the guy we're looking for. As opposed to the dumb henchman like, huh, I don't, I hear someone banging around in sheet metal very loudly. <laughs> that's probably nothing. It's like two skeletons making love in a tin coffin. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, uh... So yeah, like little things like that, they they keep in, and and that was kind of fun in the book because I've seen the movie so many times. You mean like, oh, so that that wasn't just written for the the movie that's here. Yeah, no, like the guy clearly wrote it out, and in a lot of ways, it's a very straight adaptation. Yeah, and they and then eventually he's like on the CB again, and at that point, it's making the news. So so other people are trying to like cut in, and like at one point he's like trying to talk to people, and this news anchor cuts in like, "Hey, Joe, it's us at whatever. We're we're praying for you, and and we're like paying attention on what's going on." So I think that almost is what they made into the Dick Reporter. That's kind of like shoving his nose into stuff, right? But then we have this random character who shows up all of a sudden on the radio. Taco Bill! You can call me Taco Bill. I'm hey, a... say good day, mile, Taco Bill. There we go. That's our tie-in. That, that's our connection. He's a Canadian. Ay, ay, ay. He mentions he's across the border, but the FCC wouldn't like his setup. And it feels like he's a character from another novel of Thorpe's. Like, he really yeah. does. Because he, cause, cause he drops that name like that. And it's almost like, you could almost, you could almost see Roderick, like, looking at his typewriter, like, winking at the audience, like, eh? Eh? Do you remember this guy? Remember this guy? Come on, you love this guy, right? It's like, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know who this guy is at all. But he doesn't really do anything other than just sort of, like, again, relay CB radio from him to Kathy and whatnot and jam things at one point. It's it's pretty pointless. But anyway, uh, the terrorist goal in the book is yes. just they're like, basically they have a statement like blah blah blah, America corrupt, you know, dropping up dictators. Uh, this company clacks on oil instead of Nakatomi is uh, is in league with Americans and they're actually shipping weapons and this uh, they have six million dollars which is the first in a multi million dollar deal between the government to blah 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 and. We, we plan on cracking open the safe and throwing it out there as a message to uh, giving the money back to the people instead of whatever. Eh. It's like, uh, oh, I okay, okay. I, I guess. I mean, like, there have been plenty of people that have done terrorist shit for really dumb reasons or seemingly dumb reasons. Yeah, I know. And it's the kind of thing, again, considering when it was written, it makes sense. Like, the profile of ideological terrorism striking at Americans was was a very high profile at that point between, like, you know, plane jackings and bombings and things like that. 
that it may, and especially with an occasional American getting involved in terror groups, you know, all out like Patty Hearst, it kind of captured people's yeah. minds. Whereas transitioning in the eighties, I love the fact that it's that they, they use that as a cover. I love that so much because it's like you would expect that totally just oh they're they're just evil terrorists like no they're 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 in it for the money. And I love I love when uh, Holly tries to shame him like oh you're just a common thief and he's just like. He's like, I'm an exceptional thief. It's like, yes, yes, you are. All that effort. Yeah, he's not just grabbing a few hundred bucks from a McDonald's till. Well, and it's not even just robbing a bank. It's millions. It's like million. It's a half billion dollars over. Yeah. You know, in bearer bonds that they're, in, you know, quote unquote untraceable. Roll eyes a little bit. Well, probably easier back then than it would be now. I suppose. I mean, it's better than trying to steal Fort Knox. Get it, get it? That's a reference to something that hasn't happened yet in that universe. Does it happen in one of the later movies? Die Hard 3. I've seen they that one once. They steal the gold in Fort Knox. That's the whole plot. It's his brother doing it. I blocked that one. It's not bad. The second one is the one that's like, I can't even... Oh, no, wait. The second one is the one that's also at the airport. The second one's the one Where the Holly's airport. in the plane. Right. The, is it their own Samuel L. Jackson? Yes. Actually, I don't know if I've seen that one. Oh my god, you poor, poor woman. We'll fix that later. I know. We'll make sure. It's it's a return to form. It's much better. It's not the first one, but it's much better. Okay. Anyway, back to where we're at. Uh, so we come down to the wire. I, I think it's fair just to kind of like wind our way there. There's a lot of events. We could go over little details. Uh, Carl yeah. is still angry, obviously, about his dead brother. That, that stays the same. Uh, Joe... So his foot sliced. Uh, he's exhausted because he hasn't been a- like this is he hasn't been able to sleep in like a day and a half. He got shot at one point. He's like there's been the he got knocked into a wall when the explosion happened. Like way more than John. He's plus he's you know supposed to be like twenty twenty five years older. Right has gotten his ass kicked pretty much and. And, like, because there's a while he's watching the TV, watching yep. all the news stuff. And then finally, I think it reaches a point. Well, it reaches a point where they find out who he is. They figure it out, and they take his daughter hostage. So Joe's daughter. Why is hostage. it, it, like, she tells them because she was afraid something's going to happen to her kids, I think? I think. I think that's what it was. Which the kids, yeah, like, I did not remember them being there. It was such a, if it was, it was such a small moment that, like, clearly neither of us saw it, really. Where it's yeah. like, my kids are at the party. Why are your kids at, like, a boring-ass Christmas party? You make enough money. Could you not have hired a babysitter for the night, you fucking bitch? It wasn't even a Christmas party, though. It was, just a oh, I just made millions of dollars in this deal or whatever yeah <laughs> be like oh sweet you'll do the deal how about i take half off sweet you'll still do the deal yeah <laughs> i'll give you a 50 percent discount soul pals soul pals yeah God, still really why are your kids there you oh you coked out bitch i know so he so this point joe is like well anton mr gruber you how about you i swap me for my daughter he does the same thing that mclean does where he tapes his handgun to his back has like only a couple of shots left and he goes up with a big obvious gun but in the book um, anton knows gruber notices it dear god because he's one of those he's one of those psychic bad guys the kind of bad guy that just automatically is just way too smart and you're like i hate you i hate you so much they're basically god i mean Part of it, like, Alan Rickman is so good. I miss him. Uh, but, so it's hard to, even the original character, it's hard to do better than his performance. Well, by far. I mean, and again, being as, being as in the book, he's just sort of a frothing ideologue versus in the movie, he's a smooth, intelligent, classy criminal. Yeah. That's obvious. That, that's much more interesting, in my opinion. He doesn't really he doesn't really lose control of the situation until the very end when things fall apart in the movie. In the book, he never really has control of anything. He's just sort of yeah. flailing around. Find him over there. Because that, that is nice in the movie. Because there are a few times where like the other terrorists are like panicking. He's like, no, no, no. This is part of the plan. Like 
I know it's scary. The cops are showing up, but that's what we want. So He's just like, calm down. Well, and he even says like a couple of times, like we're just moving ahead of schedule. This is fine. Yeah. This is this will work out. But and then so the different the big difference in I think between the two though is when he goes and kills Gruber, Gruber. who has his daughter, he starts to fall out. Well, he shoots her in the stomach. Uh, Gruber shoots her in the stomach. And then I think he also falls out the window he with shot. her. Yeah, so she dies. Yep. So it's sad. Well, I mean, I guess we don't know for sure. But yeah, she yeah, died. No, she's dead. She's <laughs> dead beyond dead. Anyway, so then McLean goes, in the, or Leland, I should say. Uh, he, like, throws the money out for no reason. Throws it out the window, yeah. But he makes sure he's hidden. So yeah, he's- so no one knows it's him. And then he goes down, like, he, he goes down the stairs, and he knows that Carl is out there. And he keeps saying, he's like, Carl's still There's around. There's one more. There's one more. I haven't ki- I killed all like, of them. They're like, you one. can't be sure. You can't be sure of how many there were. He's like, well, there were 12, and I killed 11, so yeah, I'm pretty fucking sure. He's like, he's like I didn't fail first grade math. And it wasn't Common Core, but I did manage to do the numbers. And He yeah. did fail second grade math, though. Yeah, well, that's because they started using things like, you know, subtraction. That just threw him off. <laughs> or was it the division, I guess? It was the division, because he could do the subtraction. Hence why he can count how many yeah, carrots are left. exactly. He's like, if I have... If I no, have no, 12- he started out with 12 bananas in his pocket, and each time he killed one, he ate a banana... And he's like, there's still a banana in my pocket. There's still one banana out there. I mean, like, Terrence. They're like, we don't know what you mean, Leland. He's like, I know, I got a banana. <laughs> or was it, a, was it a Mars bar? Oh, yeah. He kept talking about the candy bars he was finding on the bodies because they planned on being there for a while. And he was sick of eating candy. Yeah. Which is probably why there's that one scene where Ken Long is, like, at the counter just sort of scarfing down candy bars. Because we counted it. He eats, like, three different candy bars. At each shot they cut to him, he's eating a different one. Although, honestly, there, if there was a good chance I was going to die, would you care about carb counting or anything well, no. like that? At that point, you're like, screw it. If it goes straight to my thighs, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Also, Ken also Ken Long's terrorist is smart because he at least ate a Nestle Crunch. I give, the, yeah. I give the man a high five for that. Although it is one of the noisier candy bars. Yeah, but he's not worried about someone hearing. Uh, I guess. He's not, he's not McLean. He's not hiding. Anyway... Anyway, so then he he ends up getting to the bottom. He goes out and he's like, "I'm down." And he get you know gets rid of his weapons. That way he's not a threat. And, and goes he's out. surrounded by like Doctor Dwayne Robinson. I think Al's there. Like basically a bunch of people like helping him, but they're also questioning him at the same time. What like happened? reporters are there. Yeah, and all of a sudden Carl shows up, just like at the end of the movie. Miraculously, he's there. I mean, I guess at least unlike in the movie where he was hanging and magically survived and got to the bottom under a fire blanket or something because i think in the book was he dressed like a fireman or something he might have been all i know is he draws his weapon and goes and then powell basically throws johnson in front of him no robinson robinson yeah well that's what i'm saying he throws robinson in front of himself yeah to take the bullet so powell is a way bigger dick in the (laughs) And because Leland even asked him, like, oh, what happened there? He's like, I moved out of the way. He's yeah, like, and no one, He's like, and no one will argue with me. He's he died of, a hero. That's all we need to yeah. know. Like, and he kind of, like, you can imagine him looking meaningfully at Leland, like, and you could die a hero, too. <laughs> and then he, sh- he shoots Carl. Either way, he shoots Carl. But yeah. in the movie, he's a likable guy who overcame his trauma to, you know, use his gun at the right time to save Which I think life. they did a good job with that because then, even though it was a terrorist it made it so it was more than just him killing a guy it was you know like triple fold awesomeness because he like he defeated the bad guy he saved people but he also saved himself yep but and so yeah and then like the movie ends uh like honestly if you have not seen die hard go see it um it's probably one of the best action movies ever and like and not even like action movie like like a rambo or something like where it's just like just tons of like murder and shit like it it feels like there's a point to it well and it's paced well it's not constant it doesn't move from one giant set piece to the other with no thought of how it's all held together with story like everything 
has a, every set piece has a purpose. Every character interaction mm-hmm. has a purpose. It feeds into the story, the character building to the penultimate climax. Whereas a number of action movies are just sort of like loose excuses to have an action scene, you know, from bus to train to elevator, things like that. You say bus, but speed is also an awesome action movie. Dun, 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 dun. No, it is, but that's a completely different kind of action yeah. movie. Uh, and the, I mean, honestly, we haven't gotten super in depth with Die Hard, but I don't think you need to. Uh, no, that and, and a and a lot of if you like see it, and I think most people have, but also it's so like the base is so similar to the book that I don't think you have to get as in depth. It's more talking about how the different the book was and the weirdest thing about the book is that like as soon as it's like hey yeah they all died they're heroes and he's just like steph is dead his daughter uh i hurt i just want sleep life is shit now oh wait, the end. <laughs> maybe maybe my grandkids could be a reason to live yeah I'm going to fall, fall down now. And, yep. it's, and it's supposed to be like an ambiguous ending. Like, oh, did he die of his injuries? Nobody knows. Like, it was just, it's a, the book is much darker. Yeah. By far. Oh, and we never got to find out if you plowed Kathy. No. I mean, come on. Talk about loose ends that need to be tied. <laughs> ends that need to be tied. <laughs> So yeah, what would you what would you rate Superior? I'm I'm gonna still call the movie. Movie mostly because the performances. Out of I'm like they they did such a good job casting it, writing it, directing it. it. It it's one of Bruce Willis's best works because he doesn't take himself so seriously. He's not mm-hmm. like he is nowadays where he's basically your bog standard action hero man who can't. And they be they had fun with it. Like there are the moments like with the whole yippee ki yay, and. Yeah, remember when that was just a throwaway line and it was great because that's what it was instead of his catchphrase? Yeah. Man, those were the fucking days. Uh, Would you recommend the book? Because I would. If you can get a copy of it, it honestly, it only takes a few hours to read. It's not super long. It's short. It's quick. It's not a bad read by any means. Yeah. And and I would recommend even doing what we did, read it and watch the movie because I didn't think it... It, it made the movie any less. It made a few moments. It, it was kind of enjoyable, yeah, to see how much they actually did keep. Yeah. Well, a, a lot of scenes you just assume they would put in because it's a movie. It's like, no, they actually had that in the book. Which, no, which is pretty, the, which is pretty neat. Good job for the author. That's well, it's good. It's amazing that a lot of his stuff got kept overall. Yeah. That much. So I guess that brings us wraps us up on that discussion. For our next script to script, what are we planning on doing? We are going to do something a little different. What? Um, I know. Uh, if you don't follow me on Twitter, I did a tweet recently where we're pushing ourselves to uh, read, watch, and record every three to four weeks. And part of that is changing things up a little bit. So it's not just book, movie, book, movie. We, we want some differences. So um, one we'll have coming up in the future eventually is um, we'll be doing some shorts and watching a couple of movies that are based on that just, right. to, just to see how well you can do a 30-page story into a full-length movie and stuff like that. Um, I think a lot of those are probably going to turn out to be closer than the other way around. A full book into a movie tends to get chopped. Shorts tend to do better. Yeah, that's true. Um, and we have a few other things up our sleeve. So look at a little change to what we're doing, but something still fun. Um, and part of that is what we're doing this week. We're doing a graphic novel because what? we thought it'd be better than ju- this, ju- just This like, isn't manga polls. How do we do graphics and novels? And oh, my God, those are words. And, but we're not we're not doing like comic books are a little different. Like, I think it's harder in some ways because comic books, you don't have as much of a solid storyline just within that well unless you like for example you can't it would be very difficult for us to say read captain america and then review captain america the movie or even the 70s movie where the the weird ears because the problem is is that a lot of comic books still pull things like a lot of them are based on certain storylines but the storylines are over so many comics and a lot sometimes not even 
like a single series. It's yeah, it's, it's like, a bunch of elements from a multiple series compacted together. Yeah, it's like, like some the of these are from the '90s, and some of these are from the '80s, and a bit from the '60s, and it's just it's going to be too hard to do that. So graphic novels is what we decided we're going to do a few, uh, and the first one we're doing is uh, the 1989 one, uh, The Crow by James O'Barr. Which, which. Vanessa has never read nor seen. No, I haven't. I've seen the movie. I didn't know it was a graphic novel until she pointed it out. Yep. So this will be an experience for us both. It'll be amazing. See, what's funny is that I thought Vanessa, being a big movie fan, and clearly, of course, she knows all about Brandon Lee's death and everything else, would have at least seen this once. No, it just it was but one. It's of, probably it's probably because when it came out, that that's right at that time where you probably it's it's the kind of movie that appeals to a certain. That definitely appealed to a certain age group when it came out. Yeah, and when it came out, I was eight years old. Right. Which is, I would think, a little too young. And then... But where it came out for me, because it came out on, like, video, like, you know, within within about a year after it came out and became a very big cult thing, it was very big among, like, people I knew. Yeah. There was a, there was a fuckload of people I knew that would do The Crow on Halloween a lot. Yes. That's why that joke in South Park makes me laugh so much because, yeah. Yeah, and they're, you know, they're in that age where they probably definitely saw that too. Right. Uh, But. Anywho, uh, we'll we'll talk obviously more about it as it is, but if you'd like to, if you do want to follow along and you have a copy or know someone who can or can borrow it and would like to keep up or even at least just watch the movie before our discussion, you're welcome to follow along by our next recording. We'll announce. Before yeah, we and, and we definitely would like to hear some thoughts on, especially because it is so well known about Brandon Lee's death during the course and how much it kind of reflects the themes of it, of what I know. Uh, so we'd really enjoy if people could send us their thoughts, opinions, questions, and where can they do that? Well, obviously, you can reach me at tim at anime-pulse.com with all your misspelled missives and crazy rantings and telling me that I should probably read some sort of yaoi disguised as, like, a game show manga, I'm sure. (laughs) Or you can reach me, uh, Vanessa, at anime-pulse.com or my Twitter, which is AP underscore Vanessa underscore and we look forward to hearing from all of you. Yep. And, of course, if you have any graphic novel adaptation recommendations, something that we may not have thought of, definitely feel free to reach out to us. We edit to our list. We always try yeah. to work in listener suggestions. I mean, I will say we've obviously added Watchmen to our list. We'll probably end up doing that at some point. I think so. Uh, That's another one where I've seen the movie, never read it, and someone will probably declare heresy for that. But Yeah. I, I can live with that. I mean, hell, we could do a number of the Alan Moore because hell, there's V, obviously. Oh yes. Don't forget that. Shit, uh, uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Is that? <gasps> you didn't know that? Ooh. Oh yeah. no, no, I did. I, ooh, you think about it. I like that movie. It's one of those that I know a lot of people didn't, but I, I I know a lot of people didn't too. But still, I enjoyed it, and yeah, that was one of those that made me happy when I found out you liked it too. Yeah. Because I remember seeing it when it came out. I don't like. Tom Sawyer. His character's so flat. Like, he's just sort of like, well, we need an American. Like, it really felt like someone was like, how do we make sure Americans want to watch this movie? We have to have a guy with American accent. Well, what what famous American character could we have? Ooh, ooh, let's see. Uh, let's see. How about, a, how about a famous guy who was maybe a steel-driving man who, like, you know... Uh, like a John Henry sort of character. Yeah, we could do that. Or how about how about this? Let's go. Oh my God, John Henry would have been such a good addition. Yes, it would have. But instead, they're like Tom not, Sawyer. Not only that, but then you'd have your person of color. Well, yeah, you'd have that. You'd have a you you'd quote unquote diversify the well, cast. Well, exactly. But I mean, like that's me, like as a, like a Hollywood executive. But honestly, as like a an American folk tale story. I'd love him as a character. That's such a good character. Well, and that's the thing is like, and, and literally, and again, it fits the theme because the theme is the is the past versus modernization in the movie itself, where it's like again the Moriarty trying to steal everything they have and make it into a, a modernized process. Again, like the tanks and the Nautilus, and he's trying to basically mass produce the watchmen and sell them or that the watchmen the uh the the league and sell them to the highest bidder yeah in a lot of ways john henry embodies that he embodies the the fight against the machine 
Literally. <laughs> it's such an obvious. It's the kind of thing you're like, how did you not? I mean, maybe Tom Sawyer's in the comic. But you or know something. what? Like you said, with the whole American, it wasn't just that, though. It's also like Shane West at that time was also like, oh, he's so cute. So we'll get like. We'll get the chicks. We'll get the girls yeah, in here. Exactly. They need some, need some eye candy. It's like maybe instead of trying to appeal to every demographic, you just try to do a good job so it appeals to more of the demographic you're trying to get. I don't know. That's my opinion. Yeah. Anyway, we'll we'll do that sometime because I think I think the Enchanter and I could have a fun time discussing that. I think so. Okay, Maybe. I'll I'll add that to our list. But. All right. In the meantime, uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have any live subscribers here to to thank for showing up, but all of those who f- show up on our Patreon and keep the show going, a big thank you. We saw we're up a little bit today, and we highly appreciate Angel Notion. So, and of course, if you want to donate, you can find our Patreon information on the main site. Even a dollar always helps. Yep. Yep. Anyone who, even though you, even if you don't, we still thank you for listening. It it gives us a reason to keep recording these, after all. Yep. And uh, we're thinking of ideas of new things to offer Patreon subscribers. We know we say that a lot, but it takes a lot of time to think and enact things. So we apologize yes. that it's slow. But and if you have any suggestions, also send that to us as well. Um, and I guess we'll end the show. And what was that you said? Ah, yes. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker.